Today on Roll for Insights, I'm sitting down with Bob Worldbuilder. We talk about the flaws in some of today's D&D modules and how to learn from those flaws to start off your campaign with a proper opener. We also discuss his experiments, figuring out how realistic mechanics in Dungeons and Dragons are and how well they translate into real life. And we end off the episode by talking about rule of cool versus the rules as written and how to make your campaign truly feel like an epic adventure. Sit back and relax. You're listening to Roll for Insight. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Roll for Insight. Bob Worldbuilder, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome to be here. Of course, of course. So, getting right into it. I always ask people this at the beginning, at the top of the show. What is your D&D pet peeve? It's not something that'll break up a friendship or break up a game group, (laughs) but (laughs) something that just makes you go, why'd you do that? I think... My number one thing is probably just like when we are already a few turns into a combat and somebody just has no idea what they want to do, <laughs> whether I'm running or playing. That's just like, ooh, like you have so much time to think. And like, I, you know, everyone knows like combat can be so dynamic and it's always changing. And, you know, that you can never have like all the plan B's. But uh, yeah, that's always just something that bothers me. And I guess it's the worst thing when it's me because it bothers me when other people do it. So then when I end up doing it, because nobody's perfect, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then that always just feels bad. <laughs> Especially if you like, if you know that you had the time and then you were like, yeah. or you were off somewhere <laughs> or on your phone, like, oh, come on, man. Why did I do that? Yeah. That's the worst. If If I like... Because that's totally happened to me, too, when I just have have to fully acknowledge that, like, yes, I was just distracted. Like, I wasn't even, like, <laughs> yeah, I've been there. No, the, um, no, what about when, like, you're you're playing D&D, and then you phase out, and then you come back, and it's your turn, and you attack an enemy that you think is there, but someone killed it, like, a couple turns before, and you just look oh like Oh, my a couple- gosh, yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally done that, or just, yeah, or, like, they're in a different position. Like, you just miss some important detail that makes whatever you wanted to do like invalid <laughs> no as a dm like one time um my the pal the, the, he was a fighter at the time the fighter got turned into a newt and i forgot he got polymorphed into a newt and he did like 60 yeah. damage and then i was like oh man i'm sorry bro <laughs> but you're a newt yeah yeah i do that kind of thing all the time especially as a dm i feel like as a player i'm far more aware of condition effects that like enemies go under because of course like you're looking for every advantage then but as a dm like if uh if an enemy is stunned or if they are have like disadvantage on their attacks because of some kind of effect like those are the things that i always need players to be reminding me of yeah Um, and i find that it's like worse actually online i think in person you know you can like put a little something like next to the token or or like you know the mini or whatever or just make a little note i don't know i feel like online but i have so many other tools i'm thinking about like the simple things of just keeping track of effects or it's like one of the things that goes out of my head that's one of the things that i like harp on online because in foundry you have these like symbols you can put next to a next to a character token and i'm always using those because i never want that new situation to happen again yeah so that is one thing that I think is also available in Roll20 that I really liked. But you know, for the last few months, I've been pretty much exclusively using Owlbear Rodeo, 
which is like a pretty newish. I don't know. It's probably been around for like a year. Or so I've only used it for last few months though. Uh, it's very like kind of advertised as a minimal VTT. There's not a lot of tools. Like you have your fog of war and you have some default tokens to drop in some default maps that are there, but it, doesn't have as far as i know like the little things that you can pop up next to a next to a token on the screen that really come in handy <laughs> yeah do you use um this was i've always been curious about this and as a dungeon master who's been playing for a while now i mean do you use the the character sheet features in, in programs like roll 20 or foundry because you can implement character sheets you can have like little macros to have spells go off immediately i've never used a single bit of that and i'm wondering do you no. try <laughs> no i I don't know. I'm, I guess you could say kind of low tech when it comes to D and D. Like I, I absolutely, you know, like a lot of people like prefer playing at the table when I can, like, that's just not a reality for a lot of people. Um, and I get that, like my game, like my home game right now is technically a game with my fiance. Uh, so like we'll be playing in the same place, but we're playing with another friend who's just like across town could totally come. But then one of my like best friends who just lives in another state. So because of that, like we are an online game um, and it's just a matter of like kind of who we want to play with. But, but yeah, to go to your actual question of, do I use like those things? Like, no, I didn't even know a lot of that was possible until like this year when there was so much new information about how to play online. Um, and I realized like, Oh, this could probably make some things easier, but I don't know. One thing I found hilarious um, for my my own failure was trying to make a like a, a, a special magic item, number magic item to that my fiance's character could then use on D and D Beyond. And just like one of the features is that I wanted this thing to have was just to be a like plus two, and it had some other stuff going on. But I could not figure out for this weapon how to get like a flat plus two damage to its stuff and i had to like look up in these forums like how to make it happen because there were so many options that simple thing was just like out of reach for me <laughs> yeah, even just joining like a subreddit like the foundry subreddit i'm realizing like people make these crazy elaborate tools for these games yeah. like there was like the animated bleeding for when enemies take damage i'm like whoa this is way <laughs> Whoop, right well, that's crazy. That's awesome. I mean, it oh. seems cool, but it seems like something that also go way over my head immediately as I yeah. downloaded it. Honestly, like I, I've had um, quests from people. Like recently, there was a quest from somebody running a Kickstarter, and I, I can't remember the name of it right now to even like give them a little plug or something. But they were running this really cool project. They already had a pretty successful Patreon based around it. It was very much like a three D kind of online VTT so that you could really like kind of go in and like look around and it was so cool but at the same time I'm like I, like if I were the DM I just don't know how much I would want to like build out a map like that and it just seems like a lot of your prep time can get sunk into like details of a map when you're thinking about online play instead of just thinking about what's going to make this more fun you know So when it comes to DMing, like like I said, I mean you you've been DMing for a while. It's right there in your channel trailer, and I mean at the beginning, uh, you say like I didn't know any of the rules at the beginning, and now you uh, you've been guiding people through the modules. Like right now, you're you're running your way through Icewind Dale guides, which have been yep. awesome. 
So when you're looking at a module, what immediately rings in your mind as something you should probably instruct people about? Like what's something that you immediately know people are going to mess this up? It's going to be complicated. Oh man, that's a great question. Yeah. When I see, I guess, I mean, the biggest red flag is just if I have to read something like four times before I even, before I get it, or if it just feels like there's a missing piece of information. One thing that's standing out to me right now is when I was actually flipping through Handle Keep Mysteries when I got that book a couple months ago. And in the very first adventure, the premise of it was kind of get like pulled into this space, uh, this kind of extra dimensional space that is basically a small mansion. And you have to go through all the different rooms and in multiple rooms, there are different books and each book contains like a piece of a code, like an incantation, that, like a single word that you just need to recite to be able to get out. And I was then having, to, just to find that, just to find how you actually got out was not like readily apparent to me just on a, at a glance, right? I wasn't reading it word for word, but like that's a major piece of information. And then another thing was like, I would just love if like on this nice map of the mansion they had, like why can't they just point out like where, what rooms those books are in? Like, like, it just seems like there are often obvious things, like when you're reading it from the DM perspective, that, uh, yeah, the writers just seem to miss. And it's so weird when it comes from an official product like that, that has probably gone through rounds of revision and editing by oh, professionals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> so, I'm sure I make these mistakes. Like, I write adventures uh, all the time, like, you know, not you know, plug, not plug. I have a Patreon that a little adventure goes up on every month. And and actually more recently, I've been hiring people to do some of that writing, which is really awesome. Uh, having, having the ability to do that. Um, so I guess now that gives me the ability to be that extra layer of like, is there some obvious thing we need to have in here? But yeah, I really like my adventures to just be clear. Like I would rather it be too obvious to the players than be too mysterious. Yeah, because like when you're when you're trying to solve when I put a puzzle in front of my players, like my greatest fear is that I'm eventually going to have to tell them how to solve it. Like that's so lame. <laughs> Cause what if it's too complicated? Exactly. Yeah. That's something I've kind of struggled with off and on is and that's like a big fail of like the idea of like, oh, I want to have this amazing sandbox campaign in this cool world I built. But you really have to just present your players with like, okay, but there are the oozes in that cave or otherwise they won't know what to do. Like they'll just, they'll, they'll have this idea of like, Oh, we could go anywhere and do anything. And then it's kind of that paralysis feeling of, well, what should we do? <laughs> yeah. Cause you, you never have any idea. Sometimes it can get really, really complicated. Now, when it comes to, we, we were just talked about sort of a pet peeve when it comes to reading D and D books, yeah. like making it way too complicated, but do you have any big critiques of like recent fifth edition books that have been coming out? Like something that you just keep on seeing in stuff like Icewind and Candlekeep and probably in the next Feywild book. Yeah. Um, I would say this isn't like a, I guess it is almost a pet peeve. It's not a, it's not a major problem. It's just that, and <clears throat> I forget who pointed this out to me initially, but most of these adventure books specifically have a section of the campaign that is kind of like level one to three tutorial that has like nothing to do with most of the actual plot the book or or it's like there's some like grand like way epic scene uh, that just right off the bat uh, that is really cool and enticing 
But if they try to actually interact with that, like they'll just die. <laughs> like they, they won't be able to make it at level one. <laughs> yeah, like the the opening of um, oh, which Descent into Avernus. The opening of Descent into Avernus is like infamous for just being not good. Yeah, so that's one that uh, I haven't read myself because uh, Grace, my fiance, is like planning to run it. But I have seen in videos that there's a portion where. And you maybe you can fill me in on other details if you remember better. But like where the guards kind of yep, that's say what I'm talking about. You have to, yeah. Do they tell you to like kill people or they're or they'll just kill you? What what does it go? I don't even remember. <laughs> but I remember there was like there's a scene where the party need to face down like a ridiculous amount of. I don't remember if it was guards. I'm pretty sure it was bandits. But I'm like, okay, it is a ridiculous amount because it's supposed to be the introductory session. Like, could you imagine yeah. running that for new players? Like that's your yeah. first introduction well, to D and D. You know what? At my actual like, I'll throw a little asterisk on that. Um, I remember at some point when Baldur's Gate, uh, you know, this book was coming out, it sent to Avernus, seeing an interview with I think his name is Adam Lee, who was like the lead writer for that. And I don't know how that I didn't end up like reading this elsewhere. This seemed like such an interesting factoid, but he was literally just writing an adventure about the Nine Hells, and then they were like. Okay, but wait, we need Baldur's Gate to like have something to do with it. It's in the Baldur's title, Gate was an afterthought, yeah, <laughs> to that whole just, campaign. Come on. So in that one, yeah, it actually makes sense about the disconnect. Um, but yeah, it really feels like a lot of these adventures have just like these very segmented parts uh, that just don't bleed well into each other. So we've been talking about openings. Like that one obviously is less than ideal, but when yeah. you're DMing and you're coming up with, I mean, how often do you run homebrew content in your games? Uh, every week right now, um, because aside from Icewind Dale, I'm also running, or every other week, I should say, I'm running a like twice monthly campaign for some patrons and that is completely homebrew. So we started it off over a year ago where it was just a very general premise of like, hey, you guys can kind of come up with whatever you want for your characters. And in our session zero, we all decided like, what are some overarching environments? What are some overarching themes? And everything is just based on their characters. Um, so in a way, it's almost hard sometimes to then come up with things that are a little lower stakes. Because I've kind of, it's then easy to be like, oh, this is such a cool thing you wrote about your character. This is such another cool thing about this character. And I just want to like write all these little quests and adventures about that stuff. Uh, and then everything feels really important all the time. That was where I learned like, okay, but we need these little moments where there is like a little offshoot quest, but it's not something that should take like two or three levels, which is what seems to happen in some of these bigger books. Yeah, that's something that a lot of DMs struggle with is to ground the scenario. Like a lot of people want to start off with, you know, that notable big bad. But unfortunately, a lot of the notable <laughs> big bads in D&D are, are quite powerful. So yeah. what's your <laughs> advice for keeping it low key for the first like one to, I mean, even you start level three, three to 10 levels. Oh man, three to, I'll, I'll just say three to 10 levels is like, I, my preferred range anyway like i don't i don't play a lot beyond 10 like most people i think but um it's all about having uh just like a network that can link up to whatever you have a vague idea of big bad or or whatever i honestly don't think you should have a strong idea of the big bad a lot of times because you'll just be too hyper focused on that um, at least that's how it works for me and then like i said it's like it kind of things spiral into the 
the what the main story too quickly. Whereas I would much rather it just be like, let's do some of these little quests, and then eventually, like, they're all a little bit tied to it. You know, maybe it's uh, some further branches than others. It's all about having those like lieutenants to the bad guy, like they know a guy who knows a guy who knows the bad guy, sort of thing. Mm. So, oh boy, how do I, I? I I was going to segue back to this, but I can't think of a good one. I'm just going to ask the question. Okay, so <laughs> we were talking about openings way way earlier. And when yeah. it comes to writing openings for your campaigns, like what's something that you're always looking out for to make it compelling? Man, I mean, you do want a big scene, I guess. You do want something that's going to excite the players. Try to do something. Uh, I mean, cliches are fine. I try to do something original. Um, like my first homebrew campaign, that was very cliche. Like they started in a tavern. Uh, but it was fun that way. I don't know. I really don't think that's like a bad thing. Yeah, nothing wrong with starting my, in a tavern. Yeah, but um, this Patreon campaign, the first session was, again, just based on kind of one of the characters' backgrounds. He was a bard, a uh, half-orc, specifically with, like, a kind of punk, like, metal aesthetic. Um, and he, like, wanted to have a band just as part of his backstory. So the first session was, like, the party actually meeting at his show, in this literally underground venue uh, that was in, again, this kind of uh, setting that we sort of designed, which was basically a floating city, and the smaller island that this venue was on started to go down because of, like, another thing that was happening on this island at the same time of the show. So they were, like, in this falling part of this floating city. Uh, and that was really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, big old action set pieces. And I noticed that you didn't have a ton of enemies in that. Like, the main threat was the island falling and them having to evade that. Like, do you advise that people have like a more natural disaster for the players to navigate rather than an enemy that could accidentally wipe them out right off the bat. Yeah, there's, you definitely need a mix. So that encounter actually started with an ooze. I really like oozes. Um, but uh, yeah, there was like an ooze kind of leaking down from the ceiling. And that's actually something that uh, they're really finally learning about now is how those oozes were like being developed. by people related to our big bads to like mine out certain minerals and it turned out those minerals are important for keeping the islands in the sky uh so so that was all like a little piece that actually i think my fiance came up with that idea when i was just like we we're just kind of brainstorming stuff that i could do for that session um like why is the island falling uh but i've been eventually able to like link it to much more important things going on um so it's always good to like keep good notes for that reason but but yeah having the mix of Environmental encounters is another thing I really like. A lot of times it doesn't have to be like a lieutenant of the bad guy. It's literally, you know, some environmental effect based on what the bad guy is doing. Like I, I have a background in environmental science stuff, so I always really like to think about like what are some ecological things that could be happening in this fantasy world based on whatever's going on with the evil in this area. So obviously as a DM, you gotta come up with a lot of ideas. Every DM does. <laughs> Of all the things that you've come up with, and obviously you don't have to have a definitive best because that's <laughs> impossible, but of all the things you've had to come up with for your D&D campaign, like what's something that you're just really proud of? Something that just makes you go, yeah, that was awesome. Oh, man. Uh, and that is a really tough question. Oh, yeah. I'm like, you know, like everybody else, like my own worst critic, right? Uh, I think of something from a recent session, like, and really that's what always stands out to me. I'll just call out like, 
guess the times when I can just set up my players to do something cool. So like in a, in a, our most recent session of that Patreon campaign, um, my, well, the party was fighting a kind of like from Baldur's Gate. This is where I stole some of the ideas from there. Uh, was this iron vehicle like rolling across in our case an icy tundra uh, that started attacking them and eventually they were like pummeling it to the point that it was trying to get away but my characters like one of them was on top of it one of them was trying to chase after it like she's a tabaxi rogue so was able to like run super fast and we do this cool thing where every session um somebody's kind of awarded like an mvp like in our next session, then you just get to do a cool thing. Like we'll just kind of make it reasonable in some way. And she wanted to just be able to like launch into the hatch of this vehicle and have a chance to like bump into the guy driving it. And then I had a role for that. And whatever the role was, it was high enough to like hit the guy who was already really low on hit points. So she was able to stop the vehicle by like rocketing <laughs> like epic. in there and just like cannonballing into this guy. So it's just creating those cool moments for the players, I think. I, it'd be really hard to pick one. So when it comes to creating cool moments for players, I mean, what's one piece of advice that you try to give to a lot of DMs when they're doing that? Because a lot of DMs might struggle with giving players cool thematic moments without making encounters into like cheese fests. Yeah, I agree. You can't do it all the time. That's why, like, even in this case is something relatively new that i'm doing with this like mvp point um but you know it, it's a maximum of like one per session and we've had several sessions where it just kind of didn't come up like nobody used their thing and, and then that's fine then it goes away uh so yeah you can't do it too often because if everything is epic all the time then nothing's epic uh i that's something that like <laughs> i experienced in my very first campaign the one where we had no idea what we were doing where uh <laughs> Like we actually played that campaign for a while, but toward the end, things really just spiraled because we were way too powerful and then all the enemies were way too powerful. Um, so it was just like, what's even happening right now? <laughs> I do have to ask, even though you did say like that you don't like to run past 10, but do you have any advice to people who want to try to like force their way to that that ever precarious level 20 for trying to keep the campaign I mean, the dreaded word that people hate it when I use, balanced. Oh, balanced, yeah. Yeah, balance is such a, oh man, what a term it is. But yeah, balance beyond those levels, you, you just have to do a lot of work on your own. Like you can look at the big stat blocks that are there. You're going to have to really study them because they're all like taking up a page at that point, uh, especially like toward level 20. Uh, the highest I've ever personally gone was I think 16. Um I haven't even played like a level 21 shot or something. So yeah, if you want to do that, it's just going to take a lot of research to keep the combats interesting. I guess one tip I think is that people do focus on combat too much at those high levels. If you want to do, because that's where most of characters' abilities lie or like for the combat pillar of the game, you can still have interesting social encounters at level 20. You can still have cool exploration. You can still probably stop your players like with a with a really tough door, you know. So like, there's always uh, like don't don't forget about what makes the low levels fun too, because some of those things will still apply at high levels.
Now, let's talk about, I mean, your content isn't just DM advice. Like, you give advice in the modules, you give advice to DMs, but now, I mean, you've been working a lot with looking at real-life D&D stats, and, and you've gone to some lengths to figure out, like, if difficult terrain is realistic, if a strength yeah. is realistic. Of all of... I don't know what to call them. They're not skits, like the the filming sessions. They're, that you've they done. are tests of all the know. tests yeah. you have conducted. What was which one was the most pain in the ass to film? So that one would be the video that I've filmed, but not yet produced, of trying to walk twenty four miles in eight hours, which is the normal travel pace for an adventurer, uh, and just trying to see whether or not that was feasible in real life. Oh man, so. I mean, was it like, do you actually like went out and tried to hike it? Yes. So by hike it, I'll still say that like I chose a pretty simple path. Like I was not in difficult terrain by any means. I wanted to make sure I was doing it, you know, kind of by the book. I also carried as like little weight as possible to try to make it as simple for myself as possible while, of course, filming the whole thing. Uh, And by the whole thing, it's really like tidbits along the way, just like checking in about how literally exhausted I was getting. (laughs) Uh, because because I've never walked I've never walked even close to that far in one day. Um, but yeah, I don't want to I don't want to give away anything about how it ended yet. Uh, but I'll just say that like when it was over, I like literally just got home. I, I and taking breaks in the middle, of course. But when it was all over, got home and like like went into my bathtub and just like filled the water up and almost like fell asleep because I was just like exhausted. <laughs> just done. Yeah. So of all of the feats that you and your i mean your team have had to accomplish i mean which i mean other than obviously like doing the whole walk i mean damn man i would not be able to do that for a video no way but other than that like which one do you think you're just like thank god we got that over with oh man probably the difficult terrain that was uh the most stressful one to film because unlike the first one which was the movement speed like we had our camera set up pretty well like we were all just in one area uh it was pretty straightforward difficult terrain was going to like different sites all around one location to like to get our wetland to get our beach to get our woods um and then like a flatter area where we could set up our you know creature space stuff um and just moving around and like i had a couple issues with the camera so it was just it was actually a pretty stressful session of filming I was so glad that then like none of that really showed on camera because at the like while we were doing it, we were still having a great time. It was just all the like little behind the scenes things uh, that seemed to be like, oh, is this going to look good? Uh, you worry about when you're making content, but then after it, yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Do you have those like momentary like panics and then you realize like way after that was not that big of a deal? All the time. And I'm so glad I like, no, I almost wish I made more notes or something like during my recording, even, even when I'm just doing stuff like here at home, because there are totally things that like when I'm filming or when I'm scripting that I'm like, is this going to make any sense? Or like, did I say that thing right or whatever? Uh, but then I never think about it once like the video is done and, you know, usually things go well. So it's just all those little things that worry about when making things. <laughs> so of all of, I say of all of the things a lot, and I'm starting to realize my repetitive <laughs> sentence structure now, but 
when you're looking at the various things you can test in D&D, you have tested a breadth of various aspects of the game from walking speed to just in combat speed, like 30 feet. You've tested difficult terrain. You now have tested the like huge, I think it's 24 hour walking pace that parties can go uh, on. A lot of movement stuff, I guess. A lot of movement stuff. <laughs> Is there something that you are just, you, you see it in the book and you're like, oh my God, if we ever have to do that, it's going to suck. Um, yeah, so <laughs> one of the ideas I had in the beginning of this series was seeing what it's like to disrupt the long rest period. Is there are rules for that, of course, where, you know, it's like for most creatures, like elves have exceptions, Warforged have exceptions, there are probably some others. For most characters, it's supposed to be an eight-hour period during which if you awake or or doing something active for like more than an hour uh you know there's some little stipulations to like what you really need to earn that long rest and that was one of the ideas i had in the beginning that would be like kind of easy to test right like i try to sleep for eight hours is that okay is that enough and then okay do another test like another night where i sleep for a couple hours i wake up i have to do something like kind of inactive for a while then go back to bed did that still work and then another test where i do something in the middle of the night that is strenuous. <laughs> and then d- is that rest still effective? Um, yeah, I really kind of don't feel like messing with my sleep for YouTube, but I might in the future. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, that sounds that sounds awful. Like, what do you think you would do that's <laughs> strenuous? Like, lift weights? That's the thing. I No, my guess is just like I'd have to, I don't know, like go for a run or something. Oh, and I God. hate running. <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't guess it, I guess, based on all these videos I've done about movement now. But yeah. Uh, while I do exercise a bit here and there, uh, like running and stuff is not my thing. <laughs> yeah, if I had to wake up in the middle of the night and lift weights for a YouTube video, I would say, yeah. like, you guys better like this video. You yeah. guys slam that like button <laughs> as hard yeah, as you I can. Think, I think I did throw that in during the uh, walking 24 or so miles video because uh, that was by far the most challenging and the most, like, grueling thing I put myself through for a video. <laughs> Okay, so you have talked on your channel about the rules, and you have a video where, which I, I, I quite enjoyed, where you talk about rules in Dungeons and Dragons and sort of, not completely, I mean obviously you can't completely let go of the rules, but allowing them to fall away and allowing yourself to just focus on and remember the good times that you had playing with your group. So when it comes to balancing rules with the cool parts of the game, like what are your advice to people who want to try and do that? Because a lot of people struggle with either letting go of the rules and just allowing themselves to have fun with the group or uh, remembering the rules at all. Yeah, that is it, that has been such a like pivotal thing in the way I think about D&D over the last year or so. Um, just because, you know, I've been playing for uh, six years now. The first two very much like not having much knowledge of the books because I didn't own any of the books. Like I would read stuff for my own characters and I had run, I think like a couple one shots or, and maybe even like a mini campaign in those first two years. But it was around the end of that period where my partner and I started collecting some of these books um, and just like reading into them more. And, and she really wanted to DM. So then I got more curious about like, okay, like what does this all really entail? Um, and we were kind of like going between 5th edition and 3.5. So there was a lot of mix up. 
Uh, but then over the next like two or, you know, again, like probably more like three or so years, I was really like deep in just like trying to understand it all and like balance everything right and doing a lot of unnecessary, what I, what I now think of as unnecessary parts of prep where you just get really caught up in, in details that again, at the end of the day, usually make it a lot more fun and definitely aren't the things that your players like take away from the session. It can be really satisfying to, to use a rule like exactly in the best way at the right moment. It's so much easier to occasionally implement these moments like I was describing before where a player just gets the opportunity to do something off book that is just just exciting. I don't know that that breaks the game just just enough like everybody's going to be happy with that moment. Just like putting those moments in the game. If you do it too much and it becomes a a theme of your campaign, I can totally see where players could feel like well they got to do like this many cool things and i i have like this one main cool thing but you know it, and it's really hard to gauge with your players sometimes because people have totally different play styles if you have even one person in your group who's like all about the crunch and like really loves optimizing a character which is totally a valid way to play uh, that's going to really clash with their play style so as much as uh, you are going to want to think like as a dm or or even as a player like how much rule of cool versus rule of rules do I want in my game? Uh, it really comes down to the group mentality and like what's going to work in the long run to, to make the campaign sustainable. Absolutely. Awesome take. But when it comes to doing the rules themselves, like actually going yeah. through, like what's a rule that you always, <laughs> always forget? Like this is partially just to make oh. me feel better about all the rules I forget, but like what's wrong that you can never remember? The longest time, I can't think of a recent one, but for the longest time, like literally probably those first four years of playing, it was always like, wait, all grapple does is reduce your speed to zero. Like every time we wanted to be like, well, wait, like I'm grappling them. Like I, you know, don't they have advantage to hit them or like they have disadvantage to attack? It's like, no, that's restrained. It's like, well, I'm holding them. How are they not restrained? Like, it's just, well, I don't know why those are two separate conditions really, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, I took I took uh, Matt Mercer's Dashilla and I took her. I just took her uh, layer actions because I needed some layer actions for a monster that I had to come up with like right there. Okay. And she has that seaweed thing where she pulls the party toward the wall and does a little bit of damage oh. and it restrains them. And my my friend was really bummed out because his sorcerer got pulled. And I was like, Wait, hold on, can you attack when you're grappled? Wait, you can attack when you're grappled? <laughs> I had no idea. I was like, Wait, yeah. what is this? I've, that's the thing. Like one one major complaint I have about five e that I'm not quite sure how to fix is how a lot of the times like a combat will begin. So like pretty much once initiative is rolled, and then after maybe the first round when like melee guys get into position, nobody moves. And so like so the the grappled condition of like all it does is reduce your speed to zero is almost nothing. Uh, because because that's just the way combat works. Because you're penalized for moving away from people, uh, you know. In for most classes, like yeah, there are people who can avoid opportunity attacks or tax opportunity. I forget which is the phrasing for this edition, but yeah, there are there are some cases where you can get away from that. Otherwise, everybody's penalized for moving away from an enemy in combat. Whereas as a new player going into D and D, feel like one of the things you want to do is like, okay, I'm gonna run up and hit him, and then like try to duck away and blah blah blah. You just can't do that most of the time without taking a free hit from somebody. Yeah, I noticed that every time, like during the climactic final, not final, it was like the 
it was the yeah. second to final. But the there was a big fight with a huge dragon, and they were in like this tiny little corner the whole time, <laughs> the whole time. And I thought, yeah, and go. I was gonna say dragons are one that like I, I've totally done this, but it's I hate to see it because like the dragon can fly, and and the dragon has a high AC. Like they should be peeling away from enemies and flying around, maybe even grabbing people, dropping them from somewhere else, like up in the air. Like anything that flies, like that should definitely not stay in one place. Um, yeah, <laughs> they were in the one, and I thought it was like I thought it was just like that dragon fight because I placed. I, and this is my mistake. I placed them in a corner when we started the battle. I didn't even think about it. <laughs> but this is a thing. Like this is a thing that keeps on happening. Like I've been running a campaign on my on online, and awesome. the same party. They're always in the corner. We had a fight against a horde of goblins <laughs> in the corner. Fight against a hag in a corner. Unless I thunder wave them. Like everyone's always in a corner. Do you have? A, I mean, you, you, what what's, what are you gonna say? I was gonna ask. Are you in a lot of dungeons? Like they're indoors a lot. I guess when you fight. The goblin camp was outdoors. I was like, why? But you know what? It's partially my fault. I've I've started what I've started doing is just even though, yeah, it's like it, it technically doesn't make any sense, but I just place them in the middle of the battle map and surround. Because I think it's better to have them surrounded than have them in a corner. I don't know why. It just yeah. bothers me. No, yeah, totally. I mean, and I think that's still I don't know. I guess the repetition of it is is where it starts to fall apart. But like in a corner is still more interesting than just a featureless plane. Oh as yeah, well. absolutely. Which is like what happens, I think, in a lot of combats, especially uh, for beginner DMs, because you don't, there aren't rules for the things that make combats most interesting. And that is when, like, rain is shifting and when the landscape is literally changing under your feet and you have to move or it is just moving you from one place to another. Like, whether that be like some kind of like lava flow or you're like in moving boats or something, or there's a creature that is like digging up the ground around you. Uh, again or even just something flying through the air that's kind of changing like what is a viable place to hide or to run to or to climb up um yeah, just like thinking as 3d as possible is really important uh, but not well facilitated by the rules do you have any like i mean what 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 edition do you tend to run i play fifth yeah yeah do you have any yeah me, me too I, I don't have time for anything else do you have <laughs> any um any kind of I mean, it's really hard. Honestly, I, I hate trying to change up rules because it, it is difficult. But do you have anything to try to facilitate more movement in Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah, I, I would just say like letting your players like one thing that comes to mind is like if a player wants to run and like leap over something and then make an attack. Like I actually can't remember off the top of my head now if like say to climb up a difficult surface or to leap. Um, like if it's a thing where you would have to make a check my head i always feel like oh that probably should be an action right like they're really devoting their thoughts and movement whatever to doing this thing but but i've totally gotten away from making that like cost anything like that's just part of your movement whether you're climbing whether you're jumping on something or like trying to climb on a big enemy anything like that like i'll have them roll something for it but you still get to do their attack you know i don't want the cool thing they want to do to cost anything yeah, you just allow them to try to try to take that movement. Yeah, yeah really, that's awesome. Yeah. It still comes down to the dice. Like, that's an important part here. It's not just, like, letting them do anything, but just letting them try anything. Yeah. Yeah. So is there some kind of homebrew rule that you, uh, I mean, other than other than that, what we just talked about, but it doesn't have to be about movement. Is there some kind of homebrew system that you try to implement to make your games more dynamic or your games more personalized to what you like? 
Man, there definitely are. But then the thing is, like, as, as you might be familiar with, the feeling of, like, I've been using this homebrew for so long, I don't remember if it's something I made up <laughs> or if it's in the game. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of something specific. I mean, I really recommend that idea of like, what we've just been calling a hero point. Like, picking somebody at the end of your session who either, like, thought of a really cool way to roleplay or a really cool action that was just really outside of the box. Because... Oh, I've found that I always forget, like, in a session to give inspiration for stuff. Or I find that just rolling an extra dice or whatever inspiration is supposed to be can sometimes be really underwhelming if yeah. they roll it low. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, so just giving that point of, like, the next session, like, whenever you see an opportunity that, like, you really want to succeed on something, you know, this can help you in a big way. And, it, and it's never clear. Like, it, it's something we hash out in the moment. Um I think just kind of setting up that opportunity to improvise is important. And and that just helps you practice. Like that's the biggest skill as a DM is uh, you know, knowing some of the rules, but really just knowing how to build on the rules in a fun way in the moment is uh what it comes down to. All right, you might have already covered it, but when if you had to give like it doesn't have to be the best because again, really hard to nail down, but if you had to give like <laughs> one piece of advice to DMs old or new, like what's one thing that you want to leave them with? I would say to really, uh, well, yeah, I would recommend kind of my path like through the books, which was to wait a while before you really like invest. Because I think a lot of people can get caught up in feeling like they need to know everything. And that feeling and can really help you learn something quickly, like depending on how much of a like that student mindset you have. Um, but it can also just put a lot of unnecessary pressure on you and like, and these weird expectations that you think you need to live up to. Um, whereas, again, I fully believe that those fun moments at your table that your players will remember, that you'll remember, are the things that did not come out of the book. Awesome. So yeah. that was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. All that's left is to ask you, what do you have going on this week? It could be anything, really, anything. Uh, this uh, coming Saturday... I think is when this is going to go up, you said. I will be in the middle of our third to final uh, homebrew uh, campaign session. Uh, so it's going to be exciting because things are now kind of coming to a head. And uh, yeah, it's weird because we've scheduled this ending, but it's going to be exciting to have that session. <laughs> awesome. So good luck with that. Uh, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode of Roll for Insight, then please do leave a like. If you want to see more of my content, then please do subscribe to Crispy's Tavern or follow whatever podcast platform you're on. If you're on YouTube, then please do leave a comment down below. If you can't leave a comment, say the words, Rule of Cool. <laughs> and that's it's like, comment, subscribe. We will both see you all next time. Farewell. <laughs> <laughs>